Uh, Christopher. Matthew Christopher Manhire. <laughs> I don't think I've been called that since grade eight. I find whenever you've committed a crime and you're on the news that oh, no. they'll call you by your full name. Yeah, yeah. Like no, John I've... Wayne Casey or whatever <laughs> that guy's name was. Yeah, yeah. No, that brings back Richard some memories. Richard Milhouse Nixon. Yeah. Right. Matthew Christopher Manhire Coulter. Nobody knows that. Did I trigger some... You triggered some, yeah, some, some police memories, memories of, of weird fireworks incidents in, you know, eighth grade. So you're one of those people in my life that I admire and you do so many things and you do all of them with a great passion. Mm-hmm. So you put yourself Thank out you. there and you put yourself forward. But we were talking earlier and what struck me was that in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. you decided to quit. Yeah. And it's so, not the first time either. Uh, this particular round of quitting... <laughs> uh, was mostly focused around uh, one of the harder things to do and kind of typically one of the more uh, socially kind of embarrassing things typically would be I, I was sitting in class and uh, it was right after my grandfather passed away back in November and I just like witnessed like how many friends of his came by and like them telling me all the stories about just like the zest he had and I guess I was kind of feeling a bit in a way like a retired person who just kind of ceases to do anything with their lives once they're done working. And I kind of had that feeling as a student at University of Toronto. And I think I was sitting in class and then I just, I was thinking about that and I was daydreaming about, about taking photographs and traveling. And I literally got up at the break and I walked out and I haven't been back since. So you so quit school. I, I'm a, I'm a 31 year old university dropout, bud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And what's interesting about that is more and more people are dropping out, more and more very successful people who've made incredible fortunes yeah. uh, or have just lived lives that uh, are personally rewarding or successful on, on multiple scales are recommending dropping out of school. So you know, dropping out has actually been an uh, interesting topic in the zeitgeist. So, and I'm interested in, in, in why exactly you did decide to drop out. You mentioned that your grandfather uh, was a catalyst for that. And maybe, you know, were you considering, I guess, life at that point and what it meant and then how you wanted to be remembered and what you wanted to put out there? What what was going through your head specifically in that kind of light bulb moment, that epiphany? Well, I think more than anything, it wasn't like uh, one thing that most people have been saying to me when I, when I kind of recount this story is like, Oh, you know, you kind of have this realization that life's too short. And, that's pretty much the opposite. It, it really kind of opened up how long life is. I mean, he had a great life and I'm realizing that, you know, knock on wood, I've got a lot of years left. And the last thing I want to do is spend another moment doing something that I kind of just, you know, want to do. And I feel like it would be good for my career and, you know, I'll definitely make more money down the road and it's going to be great to have this, this degree. And it would be, those things are all very true, but, um, Right now, it, it doesn't serve me, and it wasn't serving me at all uh, for emotional, spiritual, or um, even intellectual growth because um, I wasn't there. So, I think one of the earlier lessons you learn in life is you got to put your toys down to go have dinner. So, I, I'm, I'm not going to say right now that I'm going to go back one day, and you know, it'll always be there waiting for me. And those things are true, but my headspace right now is that. It wasn't serving me, so I'm putting this down right now. And since making that decision, um, 
which is like another important kind of theme to this whole thing is that making a decision and moving forward from that minute uh, without doubting it because that doubt will just dilute your actions from there on out. So just really going saying to yourself, I'm going to do this and this is how it's going to be and I'm going to try wholeheartedly at this new approach from this moment. So let's go back to the moment that you decided to go to school because I'm right. assuming that you had the same attitude going yeah. in. Is that you, just, you just referenced that you wanted to go to school and why did you want to go to school? What was motivating you and, and, and how did that change? Um, at the time, I... I just come back from, I spent my 20s touring around um, with some strange kind of highbrow circus carny kind of outfits. And I was definitely a bit of a what? lost soul. You got to elaborate on that. I got to elaborate on that. Just throw that out there. So I used to be a project manager for a robotic dinosaur company. So I would travel around. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I travel around North this, America. This is going to feel like a bit like an inception. <laughs> yeah. Where everything you say, I'm like, wait a sec, let's <laughs> let's go a little deeper into that. <laughs> Eventually, we're gonna have to, you know, you can peel back the wall. Yeah, paper. we're gonna have to drop some breadcrumbs along the way okay. and, and and get back to the main the main story. But uh, so you were a robotic uh, dinosaur carny. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I heard. Go on. So yeah, I, we would travel around, and I was living this great life of um, setting up these robotic dinosaur shows in science centers, museums, and then we helped transition into a Cedar Fair Parks deal, which meant I was at theme parks all the time. Um, it's super fun. It was super fun. And I, you know, I was at the time 24 years old doing like a grown man's job, um, which was amazing. I got to meet some really incredible people. I got to experience some things and actually stay in places for, you know, six to eight weeks, which how much, how, how often do you get to do that? Mm -hmm. Like to stay in San Francisco, all expenses paid for eight weeks. You really get a feel for the city. You get to meet people and make friends. So that was like a really enriching experience. And when I decided to put that down so I could actually create a life back in Toronto, um, kind of like a final point on why I did that. Imagine if you're coming back to what you would call your home city and the only friends you have are, you know, some people that kind of know you as the guy that does this and then like the service staff at your favorite restaurants. So you, I kind of wanted to create something and then, uh, you know, so I, I, uh, so you were, you were done being on the road. And, I was done being on the road. Yeah. Right. Living in someone else's space, hotels and yeah. doing a job. I guess that wasn't super. Yeah. It was fun. It was, it was super fun, but you hit a point where it's like you're rinse washing, repeating. I remember I got this letter from, it was either Marriott or Ramada saying, congratulations, Mr. Manhire, you've accumulated so many points, blah, blah, blah. You spent 302 days in our hotels over the last year. It's like, holy shit, I've been home for 60 days out of a year. Mm. I've only seen my dog and my mom and my, at the time my fiance. Um, so it's like, it was, it was, that was a big wake up call. It's like, wow, I want to create something sustainable for my emotional well-being. Yeah. Right. So you, so you moved on from that. I moved and on from a lot of things at that point in my life, yeah. Was that the point that you decided to go to school? That was when uh, I decided to go to school. Uh, I had met uh, somebody on the road who was very much an academic, and she kind of opened my eyes to what you could experience through school. And, uh, you know, she had been studying abroad, and she was kind of really pursuing her goals through academia. And I saw an opportunity to do that. Um, so... I was like, wow, the University of Toronto, I can uh, experience learning a little bit about philosophy, a little bit about uh, indigenous history, and a little bit about the environment. And I can actually build that towards creating a degree. 
and uh, and all the while kind of pursue this this nice little thing I like to do photography, which my stepfather and I connect on. Um, and then slowly but surely, photography started to take over, and I started to make these amazing relationships with people that um, that that were defining my personality because I could be myself around them. I could be a creative kind of what most people would consider scatterbrained human being because it was all contained under this guise of photography. And before you knew it, the balance was skewed and I found myself with, you know, school not serving me. So. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, were there signs along the way that you should be doing photography? Uh, well, yeah, I had right from the get go, um, I think literally day three of school, I, cause that's when you get the syllabus, I was going into professor's office, office hours and basically pitching them without even knowing I was pitching them saying, I'm not going to do this 5,000 word essay, but here's what I'll do. I'll do eight photos with descriptions and that's going to be how I communicate my concepts and theories to you. And of course, being a, from a professor's point of view or a, a teacher's assistant's point of view, they're going, well, yeah, I'd rather look at photos than read another essay on the same thing that we did last semester. So they were excited by it. Um, so without even realizing it, I was I was pitching people with PhDs and they were accepting me. And I right. I didn't even feel that. I was because it was just it was so natural, I guess. And then um, I guess another thing that kind of contributed to to dropping out was I for our uh, large project, which is probably happening right now as we speak, uh, I pitched a, a, an idea that I wanted to go to uh, the Northern Ontario communities and do a photojournalism uh, assignment on that. And that would be my, my big project. And the professor had rejected it. So that was another contributing factor to realizing that um, being that I'm the kind of person that if you were to ask me what I want to do with my life, this the simple answer is whatever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. And that's when that school yeah. itself became something that didn't serve that greater purpose. Right. It's interesting because you think in images mm-hmm. and your pitch your, that you didn't even know mm-hmm. was a pitch was really you just trying to fill a gap, meaning you wanted to express something more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And you also saw the need for people to absorb information more efficiently. And for you, that's visual. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's interesting that all those things were already there and it just took a while for you to piece it together into what you're doing right now. I'm piecing it together even as I'm saying it right now. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's yeah, it's, it's funny when you have to talk about your stuff. Uh, the, you know, the, the microphone is, is free therapy sometimes, yeah. but uh, not that we're going to make this therapy session. We're, we're not going to invoice this one? <laughs> um, I could. Yeah, we got to pay the bills, right? Uh, we're starting a, a school program today. Cool. So the first time, yeah, so this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but not because it has to do with, with school and kids and dropping out, but kind of interesting. We uh, discovered this really amazing program in the Toronto District School Board called Oasis Skateboard Factory. What's that? It, well, you know, it, to me, I describe it as the school I wish I had when I was in school mm-hmm. because I think I would have maybe saved about 15 to 20 years worth of mistakes. Okay. I mean, I love my mistakes. They've gotten to me where I am, but it would be nice to have uh, higher level mistakes. But this school started by a really passionate guy who uh, could have started a private school and has been offered to start his own private school, but he believes in public education. And he also believes that sometimes the, the reject kids are the ones who might actually be the smartest and the ones who are just thinking differently in such a way that they don't kind of plug into this 
industrialized system that we have. I mean, the school system is really about producing effective factory workers. Yeah. And it hasn't transitioned fully from that yet. There's some signs of hope, but really it hasn't. So this school essentially sir, is, a, is a small business. And it has to be a business because it doesn't get funded. And so they have to literally make money to survive. But the beautiful thing is they are perfectly set up for today's economy and today's uh, you know, digital nomadism in the sense of if you can create and you can operate, you, you can do well in this world, mm -hmm. right? And so they built skateboards. And through that building of skateboards and selling of skateboards and designing and, and networking and getting mentorship, they learn everything they need to know. Because wow. at the end of the day, the bottom line is they have to keep their school running. You're so, making me wish I could go back in time there now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So today, <laughs> today at the academy, we're, we've got uh, you know, 20, uh, 23, 26 of these kids coming in. And we're going to put them through uh, a program uh, called Physical Culture and Mindful Living. So will this be like the equivalent of their phys ed? Exactly. Amazing. But we can't call it phys ed because the thing is, and kind of writing out the programming for this, the the, the idea was, you know, most people uh, hate gym or hate fitness because of phys ed class. It goes mm -hmm. back to a very painful memory. And that was, you know, that was me. This oh, definitely. academy is, is, is a testament to uh, hating gym <laughs> and hating fitness, but loving play and yeah. figuring out ways to make people play, but also get fit in the process. And so, I mean, skateboarding is an interesting thing. You know, it was a counterculture. It was, it was, it was something that was rejected, but now has become a dominant culture. Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating thing. And yeah, it's funny. All the, all the shit that they told you not to do skateboard, uh, you know, smoke weed, play video games, experiment be on your computer, fail. experiment <laughs> and fail. All those things they told you not to do are the things that are <clears throat> becoming the dominant culture right now. Hip hop, skateboarding, right? Weed in Canada. I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll talk about that. Definitely. But, but it's amazing how these things are now, um, you know, becoming part of the dominant culture and also economically powerful. So what's what's cool about these kids is that you put them into this program and and they went from being rejects to being extraordinarily creative, creating things that other people want that have value, and they're seeing that value come back. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you just facilitate something for people. Right. Right, and and I think to to me it's it's interesting because I'm hearing I'm hearing that in your story as well. I mean, you know, you, you're a kid at, at thirty ish, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but really, we're all going through similar things. We're all trying to find oh, our, our place in the world and how we uniquely express ourselves to the world and how we get the world to understand uh, and connect to how we express ourselves. So now, uh, getting back to getting back to you, what are you what are you doing? You know, you know, you've kind of alluded to the fact that you're a photographer. Mm -hmm. You're 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 really you know carving a nice niche into that world. I mean, you know, wh what do you, where where are you in your journey, uh, on that path right now? Uh, on that path, uh, just sheer enjoyment. To be honest with you. the whole, the whole craft was kind of handed down to me when I was probably about like four or five. My stepfather's mm -hmm. dad, it was a wedding photographer that made his mark by putting these little like thought bubbles. So if you can imagine like the bride and groom making like a funny face and then this little thought bubble sticker that's like, who farted? Anyway, <laughs> it was my job to put those stickers on the photos right. and they loved it. And that was kind of my first experience with that. And I was getting lots of really positive attention. So I, the whole kind of act of taking photos and playing with them in, in post-production kind of makes me feel like that. But uh, it was funny, it was another health issue that kind of led me to like really pursue it. And that's when my stepfather got sick about three years ago. 
And it was like, I grabbed all my darkroom equipment out of storage. And uh, I think the day after he, he told me that he had, he had cancer, I went out and blew the rest of my life savings on getting a camera. And that just became like this forging thing for our relationship, which was me calling him or texting him photos and him giving me feedback. And, you know, if any young man knows that, you know, that, that positive attention from your father is, is a really validating thing on your journey to manhood. Um, whether it's good attention or bad attention, just knowing where you stand with your, with your father figure is important. Um, and for me nowadays, it's for the first time ever in my life, I don't really give a shit what happens down the road. Uh, I mean, I have a, a pretty clear idea of what I would love to happen, but it really places me so in the moment, which is a funny thing about the art, capturing moments and slowing down and, and actually seeing things as opposed to just looking and uh, for me, especially with, you know, certain kind of brain function kind of quirks that I have, uh, it really, it really plays that and it really, uh, you know, it really manages that well. So I guess to, to sum all that up, I'm, I'm just having fun and, uh, and truly just enjoying myself. And I feel like I really am expressing myself and I, I can show people how I see them and little events, how I see it. And it's it's just really that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We said showing people who they are, I guess, mm -hmm. in the sense of this is what you look like. You may not know what you look like in the moment, mm -hmm. but this is what you look like. I, I think that's such a beautiful thing. Photography has the capacity to elevate you mm -hmm. when you capture a moment where maybe you're at your best, and that that's a souvenir of that experience. It's it's, a, it's an anchor. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of your work, and, and it has that quality. Mm. Which is which is really cool, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, what is it about what is it about that that picture or finding that thing about someone else or maybe yourself? Because I think everybody ultimately is talking back to themselves through oh yeah through their actions towards others. But you know, describe that feeling when you just nail that shot and you've done something where you've maybe just shine the light on that person in such a way that maybe captures their essence? Like what's, what's going on in that moment for you? I think I've been able to kind of experience that on a, on a very tangible level because where I'm at right now on, on my journey is that I have shot very few models and more real people. So there's this you journey. you prefer that? Uh, I don't know if I prefer it. It's just that's just what's been coming up mm -hmm. is, is real people. You know, You're not going to say no to hot models. I'm never going to say okay. no to hot models cool. ever. Okay. So any hot models out there. Any agencies yeah. listening? Send, yeah. <laughs> send them over here. Yeah. 64 awesome. <laughs> yeah. Send them, to the, send them to Danny for the screening process. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So I'm totally okay with that. It's just I've – it's like anything. Like when you start tattooing, you tattoo all your friends and you get that feedback and then you kind of get that practice. So – same with this, you know, you shoot your friends and because those are the only people that will sit down in front of the camera for you. So it's funny, very much to this experience where I was kind of nervous starting this conversation, but then you kind of flow into it because of, you know, your experience with this and your facilitating comfort. So it's very much the same thing. So if you actually look at I also dim the lights a little bit. Yeah, the candle's nice. The candle's really nice yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's American denim, I think. The Bruce Springsteen collection of candles. It's the art <laughs> So if you actually look at like a series from a portrait shoot, you can see like friends that I've known for years be super, super uptight around picture one through eight. And then who knows, I probably said something stupid or the right song came on. You can start to see them kind of diffuse and relax and just settle into the moment. 
And then usually around like, it's funny, you can pretty much nail it to the number. Usually around like picture 35, you're like, you're just nailing it. And they're just having fun and they're really being themselves. I think you get to know, you get to know people in very different ways when you're photographing them, right? Because mm-hmm. at first, I'm sure everybody's a little bit on guard or, or totally, or you know, they put up the armor and they're nervous. And they want to look good. They want to look good. That's our culture. We're part of the duck face peace sign culture. You know, right, they want right. to they want to do something that drives away from the fact that they might have acne, they might have a weird nose that they feel strange about, or their eyes are crooked. And what do you but, say to people to bring out different personality? Like, what are you looking for in them? Do you do you come in? saying, hey, listen, this is a piece of you that I think the world will find interesting. For example, uh, a tough guy on the exterior who might have these moments of innocence and you know you know that they're there. Do you do look for that? Is that is, are those the moments you're trying to capture? Yeah, I'm tr- I try to capture the more, the more real moments that people are experiencing while they're sitting for me. But I, I don't think I really say anything to them. I've been told that I flirt a lot. Like I pretty much want to take everybody to bed, guy or girl or whatever. But I think more than anything, I listen. Um, especially when it comes to doing post-production work, you can really get a feel of people. The Most people, nine out of 10 people will say something along the lines of like, oh, I'm having a weird day today or my eyes feel puffy today or something like that. And it's like, your eyes are probably as puffy as they always are, but they're weird about it. And what do you I, do to make them feel comfortable? Um, I just be myself. I just be myself. I think it's really do, important. Do you make them? Do you make them just accept it and move on? Do you? Do yeah, you make tell them, them do stupid there? things. Like, right. um, I mean, I think for me, just going to touch back on like that, the playfulness and, and and development through that. I in my early early twenties, I went to uh, to theater school, and a big portion of that was clown training. And I think a lot of the a big part of clown training is le jeu, the game, um, and the joy. Uh, and I think a lot of that just ability to strip down and express um, you know unabashed stupidity uh, for the sake of, of developing comfort and removing barriers between two people to create a relationship is a very important kind of skill that I've I've inadvertently kind of gathered over time right and um, I think people I've seen people act really stupid and say some really stupid shit and that's awesome. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. awesome to the point where you can create an atmosphere where people aren't self-editing I think that's what I want for all my relationships especially for people who are sitting in front of the camera what are you trying to communicate through your photography uh, that everybody is beautiful I think everybody is beautiful I mean there was this great episode of Louis, Louis C.K. Uh, recently I watched I, I tore through it because I was sick about a week ago and there was this moment where he was out on a date with uh, I think it was She's like a bigger model. She, she's fat. And she she says she's fat. And then Louis goes, oh, you're not fat. And she goes, well, the worst thing you can say to a fat person is that you're not fat. I know I'm fat. And yeah, there's fat people out there. But I think that that's been kind of lumped together with wrong or ugly. And I'm definitely of the mindset that, yeah, you're fat, but damn, you're still hot. Like you got the prettiest face ever. And, you know, you carry yourself in such a way that just inspires me. I, mm-hmm. And I think I try to communicate ideas like that, that, that literally everybody is beautiful. Anybody who owns what they have anybody. is hot. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the only ugly people I've ever met in my life were truly ugly on the inside. 
and seething with venom. That's kind of the how I've judged them on ugliness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just more of uh, an expression of the self work that they need to do. So what self work are you doing? I mean, we t- we talk a lot. Oh, man. We talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're pretty much working on every every morning at seven a.m. and mm-hmm. you know we've gone for runs and things like that. So. You know, obviously that's one thing that you do for yourself. But what else do you do to keep your mind right? Because you're, you're a highly cerebral person. Yeah. Uh, I think people could already tell that some of your observations and just the way you phrase things and, and kind of the light that you you you, you shine and, and the angles that you bring out in things are, are pretty interesting. Oh, thanks. Right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what do you do to, to keep yourself sane? Um... I think my journey for self-work probably started about right when I started school because uh, a professor had pulled me aside and he's like, the work you're handing in is great and you sit right up front. That's amazing. But I can tell something's kind of up. Go see this doctor. And at that point, that's when I was diagnosed with ADHD. And that's when my journey started. I was like, okay. How long ago was this? That was, would have been th- three years ago. Okay. I was diagnosed when I was a kid and those were the days when it's like, hey, have some Ritalin and Adderall, bud. You'll be all right. Yeah. Um, How long were you on that? Uh, I was on it for for? three weeks, and then I sold it all to the lacrosse team. Cool. Yeah. So you always had a great deal. Business acumen. Oh yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Hustle and flow. Yeah. I don't know what they. they, they, Yeah. Anyway, but um, sorry, mom. Uh, So they uh, they they did the whole scan for me again. Adult ADHD, and then of course they went the same route. So I tried it a few kind of things like uh, you know. Vivance and whatever, a few other uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, but with that came probably the best, most shining experience from going to U of T, which is their accessibility program. And through that, I was uh, I was introduced to like um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which is essentially the ability to reverse uh, pattern thoughts. An amazing thing. Anybody who just feels terrible ever go to cbt and it will change the way that you interact with the world and everybody in it and your own brain Mm -hmm. um i can't speak enough to the value of that um but also access to um you know very real seasoned uh psychotherapists um you know very amazing qualified coaches i have a coach that i go see every week that helps me with scheduling Um, that's a huge part of my self-work is is learning to uh, accept, not only accept, but enjoy uh, scheduling certain aspects of my life so I can be more spontaneous and have room for spontaneity. Um, That's been a massive part of my self-work. And then, of course, physical exercise is a huge part of it. Um, I experimented with the pharmaceuticals. It didn't work for me in the way that I wanted it to because it definitely... Um, in a dramatic way, it, it rips your heart out and it just leaves the brain. This, this linear thinking, logical brain. Um, you know, so when you're talking to your partner and you're going, well, I love you because it's an emotion based on the reality of how I experience you. That's not how you're supposed to talk to the world. You know? you know, It should be, I love you because I value you as a person and the things that you bring out. Like That's an emotion. That's an right. emotive conversation. That it's almost sociopathic in, yeah, in some Yeah, you ways. can't have those. I felt I couldn't have those conversations when I was on pharmaceuticals. Um, so... You know, removing the pharmaceuticals from it is was a step for me that worked for me. I've seen it work for other people, uh, and the cognitive behavioral therapy coaching. Um, I've invested 
thousands of dollars and hours into being recklessly selfish and self-righteous and finding how I can really balance how my mind works, which is a million miles a minute, uh, to reality. And that's really helped me find my place in my day-to-day. It's helped me find my place with my friends. It's helped me find a place for my friends so that I interact in, in harmony with everything around me. Um, that, that in itself has kind of been the result of my self-work so far, but physical exercise has kind of been the, the coat rack for all of those things. It's, it's my foundation. I come here in the morning. I, I burn off probably like 1400 calories or whatever it is and go on with my day. And then I rock climb and I run and I'm just, that's a huge backbone of it. Just burning off that energy, um, to stay calm. Highly creative, emotional, People are connected to the cosmic soup. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> cosmic soup, right? And I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, it's it's a it's a sea, right? It's a sea of stuff uh, that if if you, you're not prepared, if you don't have the right vessel, then uh, you know it's going to ruin you. But if you have the right vessel, then it could take you places. Yeah. And I think the, the creating that vessel through these practices, you know, physical activity. Uh, you know, building up physical practice specifically, not just fitness, but actually having something that you can hone and, and work on as an art, really. Definitely, you know, yeah. Like physical culture, arts, that type of thing. And, you know, that for the creative people, I think that really does generate that co-rack, which is so important because without it, you can't really create. Without, without things like schedules, you don't have the gaps that are there for the creative spaces. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and and I know that's something I've dealt with. And when I don't have those things in my life, I get super depressed. I lose all momentum. Yeah. And all that energy that is creative and beautiful turns back on itself into something that is horribly depressive and it just drives you oh, into the darkest right? places. But it's funny because those dark places are where all creativity comes from. You know, the the artist is someone who takes nothing and is willing to go to nothing where it's scary and it's lonely and it's shitty and take something back from there and show other people. And, and it's fucking tough. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think a huge amount of our audience is comprised of those types of people. And we've, we've talked in, in the past on, on podcasts and also through the lion head and, and other writings on the blog about these kinds of issues. How a lot of people who are highly creative uh, have dealt with, issues around, you know, mental health or mindfulness, how they find things like CrossFit, running, climbing mm-hmm. to be extraordinarily beneficial to their creativity mm-hmm. and just the balance of their lives, right? And, Absolutely. And, I can relate to that on every level. Right. Yeah. So what would your grandfather think of you now? Uh... Well, I never had the chance to tell him that I was going to drop out of school. So would he be pissed? No, no, I don't think he'd be pissed. Um, no, he was one of those guys that was just totally supportive of everything I did. Um, he was the guy that, like, when I got arrested as a kid, I'd be like, "Oh God, I hope Grandpa Barry comes and picks me up right now. Please, please let Grandpa Barry come pick me up," because he would dole out the right kind of discipline and advice that would make everything all right and validate that I fucked up, but you fuck up. Yeah. You know what I mean? What kind of things would he say to you? 
Um, I don't really remember anything specific. It's just I remember the feeling, and that was shame and the conscious knowing uh, that I really, really messed up. But with that came still like a love. I remember uh, one reaction to, to some trouble I got into was he, we literally left the police station and then we went to Hobby Hobby, which is a store in Mississauga, and we got a remote control plane. He must have spent like 800 bucks on this thing. And then the next day we started working on it. And it was this thing in front of me that you could build and then you could fly it. And it, it took like three months to build the thing. And then like I had to work off a bunch of money to like pay for certain parts, servos and radios and stuff like that. And then it, it flew. And there was a huge lesson to that. A, spending time with your elders, which I mean, is, is, that's just rooted in who we are as humans. Um, and it's like the backbone of indigenous culture is respecting and, and spending time with your elder, elders. But um, also creating something that flies. What more of a beautiful message is that? You know, a, something that is, is pieces that you craft, cut, build, glue, and create structurally sound to go up into the air and fly around um, for a 15-year-old boy that's really special. So like I said, nothing really verbally specific, but action-wise, which is what I value more, is that's what I really remember. And to go back to your original question, I think if I was going to call him up today and kind of give him an update of what's going on, uh, he'd be stoked because the ferocity in which I describe my life right now is of that of somebody who is really understanding what's going on today and everything that's led up to today. And even has, for the first time ever, a pretty clear idea of what they want to happen over the next couple months. Um, and all that for me on a personal note is driven by curiosity mm -hmm. and just exploring curiosity. So would he be proud of your mistakes? I, I think he's proud of them. We've laughed over him a bunch of times. <laughs> so yeah, I think he, he gets it. He really, he really, he really got it that, that this is the, this is the journey. And you know, the, the, the man I was that stood before him was in good, healthy shape and, taking great care of, of, of Krista, my partner. And, you know, I've got a healthy dog and these are all these little representations of that. You know, I, I care about things that are outside of myself. And I think those are the things that he noticed and, and mattered to him. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, and if you don't want to talk about this, it's cool, but you said something to me on a run, which I found really interesting. <clears throat> okay. When your grandfather passed away, you mentioned something about your grandma and how obviously that's an incredibly hard thing for someone to deal with when their when you know, partner for life goes before them. But oh, you also acknowledge that there was opportunities for her. Oh, yeah. Which, which to me was really interesting. A, that she was, you know, I'll let you talk about it, but it was just interesting that, that you found this other side to it. There's another angle to that mm -hmm. uh, horribly devastating event. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first and foremost, what I've learned is that when somebody tells you that somebody close to them dies, you don't have to say anything. I think that was what really sparked up the conversation was kind of all the weird, strange things people were saying to me. Like, oh, he lived such a good long life. It's like, okay, cool, you don't need to tell me that. You could just say, sorry to hear about your loss and we can move on with our life. And I think that's kind of what really was the catalyst of that conversation um, is how people react when they hear that there was a death. 
um, and the funny things they say to deal so that they can deal with them because right. they feel awkward. But um, that led into, yeah, a great point, which was that uh, my grandma being, I guess, in her early 80s now, uh, has been married to the same man, sleeping in the same bed as with this man for over 50 years. You know, he, he was a very dominating creature. He picked the colors in the house. He always cooked. Like, she had no idea how to cook up until, like, a month ago because he, he was passionate about cooking and, like, he loved to cook and provide for his family. Um, but he also didn't like to fly because he was overweight, so he couldn't fit in the seats. And I think there was an event that happened that made it so that, no, flying never happened, so they got an RV and they, they drove everywhere and she fucking hated it. Um and now here she is with this space that's been creative. Uh, so, sorry, that's been created. And being 80 years old with all this wisdom and all this life that's behind you, you can start to fill that humongous void that your partner, your lover, your best friend has just opened up for you. Um, she doesn't have to take care of it anymore. She painted the color of their master bedroom. She... Uh, booked a ticket to go see her friend out west in BC that she hasn't seen in years because she just never had the motivation to fly. Um, you know, she's selling the motorhome, which is probably gonna be like the best day of her life. Uh, yeah, she's she's learning how to cook, and you know, her food's pretty good because she's cooking with love, and that was instilled by my grandpa. Uh, so it's funny to see this human being experience a rebirth at 80 years old, and she's still got like another like almost 20 years left, I think she's in good condition um, to kind of fine tune these, these new explorations and curiosities that she has. And what's interesting about that is you can overlay that exactly mm-hmm. onto, you know, your decision to quit school. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing. It's the same, same mentality really. Like mm-hmm. now it's time to do <clears throat> what I really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's a huge bravery in that. Uh, it's also you got to acknowledge that there's you know, a huge amount of sadness and a huge amount of loss to that. But at the end of the day, there's there's opportunity in front of you. Oh my god, yeah. There's always opportunity, opportunity, especially for the curious. So you uh, you know you mentioned flight mm-hmm. a couple of times, <clears throat> and uh, what else is interesting about you, and not a lot of people may know this, but you've sailed and now you climb. Mm-hmm. So how are those things factors in your life or even just having developed this outlook on, on life in general? Um, well, they were, both of those things were kind of introduced to me at a point when I was a troubled teenager through air cadets. So as far as like a lot of like the rope training and stuff like that, um, that was like kind of the thing that kept me out of trouble. And then interacting with flying and kind of, being in the outdoors, that was again a thing that kept me out of trouble and and it put me in a group of people that were also kind of experiencing that as teens. And when I moved to the city, again, I just followed my curiosity uh, down to National Yacht Club and I got on a boat and hanging out with a group of of men, because I was always the youngest and always the poorest. That was always a factor and it probably always will be a factor on every sailboat that I'm on Mm -hmm. until I'm like in my 40s and I have to like groom up a young gun like me right. um, kind of thing. Um, so hanging out with a group of men in a confined space where everyone really shows who they are and we all have the same single goal and that's to make a machine move under the power of wind. And there's a formula to that. And 
that has been one of the most rewarding experiences because it's a mentorship in real life. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter that the owner of the boat does this for a living. It doesn't matter that I do this for a living. What matters is that we work in harmony to create an end result, which is winning a race. Um, <clears throat> so transfer that to real life. I can't even say in specific how it's transferred over, but it's definitely been important, uh, especially with creating relationships that are towards a common goal, which for me is just fun and doing whatever the fuck I want. Mm -hmm. So aligning me with people like that in my real life, you know, that's probably been like the takeaway from that. And why, why climbing now? Why climbing? Um, well, for me, it's exciting and it's really physical. Um, and it's right now, it's one of the things that just scares the shit out of me. Like, it's really scary. Like I just got my leads climbing certificate. So now it's built on that. Now you can actually fall. And I like that concept of, of trying so hard at something and still falling. Um, and there's somebody there to catch you. Um, with, with top, for those who aren't familiar, you start off with top roping and there's a line ahead of, on top of you. So you never really fall. You actually just come off the wall. But when you start lead climbing. So someone's, um, someone's there essentially with a rope. Yep. You're on the other end of the rope. Yep. And when you fuck up, you don't die. Not even remotely close. Yeah. You just kind of come off the wall. Everything's fine. But when you start lead climbing, uh, you clip into the, to the, to a point as you go up the wall. So let's say you're five feet above that last point, you have five feet of rope, you're gonna fall 10 feet plus the rope stretches. So there's very much like there's stakes. Um, but again, it's helped me kind of enrich the trust that I'm willing to have for other people. Because um, I mean, I only know the people I climb with through the dynamic of climbing. So I've definitely learned to accept trust and, and build trust with people in day to day through the act of doing this. You know, I've learned that, you know, I can rely on friends. They, they're there, you know, they'll catch you. It's, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like, it's true. Mm. I mean, there's been days that I feel like shit and, uh, you know, whether it's you or, or somebody else in my life has literally just like been there and just been themselves and, you know, you're there, you're cool, you're safe, everything's good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you too, man. And what's your next, what's your next climb? Um, well, it was supposed to be the, the Gothics in the Adirondacks last weekend, but I was really sick. So it looks like we're going to team up with uh, a buddy of mine, Nick, who works at the Mech here in Toronto. And we're going to go do something called the Trap Dyke in the Adirondacks, which is this really, really great, like, thousand-foot incline. Uh, and that'll probably be, like, the last thing for winter stuff. And uh, the Ice Climbing Festival this weekend up in Maynooth, going to go do that. Um, and then over the summer... Uh, I'll be heading out to BC to go do some stuff in the Tantalus range there and, uh, and where else? And then heading out to BC again, which is awesome to go do some stuff in the Kootenays. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of like, a lot of climbing stuff in the future. And you're bringing uh, your camera. Oh, definitely. My camera will be there. So that, that's part of the thing for you. Yeah. It, it's kind of, that's like what I hang my hat on and I, at least with my goals and what I'm, what I'm trying to create is a way to sustainably do all these activities. And I kind of had this realization that if I just capture it all and share it in a way that people think is exciting, then I can keep doing this. So I'm going to try it out. Like, and I'm going to try really fucking hard and I'm very open to the fact of failing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just, I want to try it. And I at least want to say that I tried really, really hard at it. So whether it's climbing or school, it's okay to drop. It's okay to fall. Absolutely. It's totally okay right. to fall. I mean, 
I've ended engagements and, you know, to people. And that's one of the most intimate failures you can ever experience is telling someone you don't love them because you need to go love yourself more. Um, that, that was a failed relationship, but in the end result is I'm still good at relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if I fail at, at this, I'm still good at photography. I think, you know, it, I'm still good at learning uh, and I'm a good student. You know, I learn from you every day. I learn from, you know, Krista every day. I learn from my dog every fucking day. Like it's just because you stop doing something that's an umbrella for an activity does not mean that you're bad at it. Am I bad at going to University of Toronto every day? Yes, I'm not good at that, but that's mm -hmm. okay. But I'm still a great student. Yeah, it seems that you don't need school more and more these days. School is, it's a great thing. I mean, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be a lawyer. Totally. The major institutionalized professions, I mean, you have to go to school. There's no other way to do it. You can't be a freelance doctor, <laughs> right? You can be a freelance photographer. Start marketing myself as a freelance doctor. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I do. <laughs> we have another podcast that's basically all about being a freelance doctor. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, everyone should be their own freelance doctor, but that's another, yeah. that's another topic. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, like failure to me is an art, right? Mm -hmm. Success is really just a, uh, essentially a procession of failures, right? It's the ability to manage failure. So what, do, you know, what have you learned about failing more effectively? You know, what are the things that you look for, uh, when something doesn't work out and how do you put yourself on the right track? Cause sometimes failure can send us way off track. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could actually make us stay on track better. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned? Because uh, you've done so many different things. You've switched gears so many times. Now you have this amazing presence, focus, and commitment to what you really want to do, to what you want out of life. But, you know, you got there some way, somehow. And, and, and what were some of the ways that you got there? You know, how, how did you use failure to your advantage? In this most recent uh, failure, uh, it definitely put me more on the right track because um, the conversation with like my coach and the people in my life became very concentrated to um, athletics and photography. That's it. Um, and as well as with school, I was definitely self-identifying as a student. And I, I, there like was a, I am a student. I'm a student at the University of Toronto. I right. loved telling people that. That's so fucking hollow. It's fragile too. Because look how quickly it went away. One decision and it ended. I'm no longer that. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? So I latched on to what I'm passionate about, which is what I should have been doing all along. But the one thing in recent years um, that, has, that has really made failure more graceful for me is just being kind to myself. Um, and that's, you know, not loathing the decisions that you make. It's making the decision, standing by it, and removing doubt so that's not diluting every step forward from there. And, and this sounds to me like your grandfather, <laughs> right? I mean, you have to feel, he made you feel your failure because you have to. You have to take on that emotion. Definitely. Never ignore that because like, then what are you going to get? You're going to be a psycho, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So you have to acknowledge it, but then you've got to actually you know, use some love in the resolution to you know, put yourself in the right direction again. Mm -hmm. So that, that to me, when you say that, I'm like, okay, well, that's the voice of your grandfather. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I never even put that together. So thank you for that. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. 
what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this? They're doing workouts, but now maybe they'd like to climb something. Like really basic kind of practical advice that you'd give to uh, anyone who just wants to start. Um, one thing I hear a lot uh, in my community is uh, I'm not ready yet. Um, you know, oh, I'd love to do that. Um, and that's those are conversations that have become really hollow to me because I've realized that person just wants me to accept their ideas and they want me to accept them. Um, so I think the one thing that I would say is to stop talking about it if you're not going to do it. Um, and to stop telling people about things that you wish you could do and to stop speaking in a language that is very perspective and really start speaking to yourself in a nonviolent tone that is going to get you where you want to go. So more along the lines of I'm going to do this, but if I don't do it today, that's okay. Right. I'm still awesome. Yeah. You know, every, there's a lot of people that speak in a way which creates a day-to-day lifestyle where every day they're failing because they're not doing it right now. Right. So I think getting a sense of reality to the things you want to do. If you want to run a 10K, there's a lot of 10Ks. Just sign up. Just sign up and go do it. Like, so with with climbing, there's a lot of places with, in, in probably any city that you're in that you can climb. So yeah. you just go in, what, take a class, take a course? What's yeah, you pay 45 bucks and you take a class with a bunch of other people that are feeling really self-conscious and weird about the whole thing too. And then all of a sudden you've got a couple buds. Like it's really that easy. And what's the climbing community like? Uh, it's a mixture like any. Uh, there's uh, a lot of really welcoming, warm and kind people. And then there's a lot of dicks. Right. Like... <laughs> Okay, so it's like everything. It's like everything in life, yeah. Yeah, but it, you know, I've been victim of it and I probably will still be victim of it because I'm human, but you know, you create this timeline of how you think things are going to go and it's never good. Anybody that looks in the future really never sees the best possible outcome. They see like a pretty good one that's based on like self-consciousness and fears. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like so, the best I maybe can do. Yeah, maybe, you know, so like, I can I maybe want, do right? this. But I think just committing to being kind to yourself and creating a language and a dialogue with yourself that will get you where you want to go um, and accomplish what you want to accomplish. But the, the key to that is just being nice to yourself. Mm-hmm. So be nice to yourself and go climb something. Go do anything. Go do anything. Go do yeah. anything. Climbing is a metaphor. So. Yeah, climbing is definitely a metaphor for yeah. <laughs> or or not. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, you can go walk up the hill in High Park if you want. That'll make your legs burn. You'll feel so, something. So when you get your yacht, <laughs> what are you going to name it? Um, the Dream Machine. So like just Dream Machine or <laughs> just, SS Dream Machine? Or no, just Dream just Machine. Dream, the Dream Machine. Not even the just Dream just Machine. Just Dream Machine. Yeah. Okay, I like that. <laughs> um, what kind of crew members are you going to bring on board? Uh, all the outliers that'll come knocking to my door, I guess. So they'll have to find you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it'll just be a rumor that there's this crazy dude yeah. who has a ship and he's looking for... Well, in, in the yachting community, if you have a good boat, people will come knocking on your door, that's for sure. 
Um, That's how I found my life. I have this thing saved on my phone. Okay. I have to find it, but it's, you know, Shackleton is right. Ernest Shackleton. Yeah. So for those who don't know, he's basically the guy who, uh, what year was this? Late 1800s, early 1900s, somewhere around there before, you know, uh, before the modern era. And he was the first to really uh, map out the uh, the Antarctic, right, mm-hmm. the South Pole. No one had done it before him, and he did multiple missions. And he was looking for crew, and so he puts this ad in the paper. Oh yeah, this is awesome! <laughs> and it's it's the best ad. I show this to everybody uh, who's kind of associated to me in some way. And it, I'm paraphrasing, but basically it says, "Men wanted." Headline. You know, must be you know, must be willing to endure, uh, unspeakable conditions, yep. low pay, <laughs> um, you know, uh, just possible death. Yeah. But, you know, period. And then, uh, glory assured <laughs> something like that. Sign you know, up, basically dude. it's going to be shitty, but you're going to leave this earth being uh, a glorious person who's, you know, done something nobody else can do. Mm-hmm. And you'd think an ad like that would not get anybody, but it actually created a waiting list. So I'm not surprised. Right. And, and yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, so for anybody who wants to actually get the, the proper wording, just, just Google, uh, Ernest Shackleton, spell it somewhat correctly. And also, uh, you know, add in paper, you should be able to find oh. it and bookmark it cause it's beautiful. And it just, I think is a testament to what we can do if we have our vision set, which is, yeah, I want to create something amazing in this world and I'm willing to endure whatever it takes to get there. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good note to end on, I think. Yeah. And creating like an atmosphere of reality right from the get go. Absolutely. Cause he was Absolutely. totally right. He never lied once in that ad. He, no, yeah, <laughs> that ad was super honest. Yeah. Super honest. So that's a, that's maybe a, a tip to the marketers out there. Just yeah. be, be real <laughs> yeah. and have a vision. Yeah, and, and you'll get the right people too. Hey, yeah, you'll get the right people. Oh, sorry. I thought I'd turn my phone off, but anyway. Oh, whatever. Oops. Um, so thanks again, man. Dude, thanks for having me on, man. It's a real honor. Yeah, like it's it's cool because we just did a workout and came up here, uh, set up a little recording studio uh, with gym mats. You and can truly say that you started from the bottom with this setup. Yeah, this is, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm most proud of the MacGyver moments in my life. Yeah. When you can see something and just, uh, you know, improvise in the moment. And, and for, for those of you who can't see this, basically my laptop is resting on a shoebox with a mic kind of stuck in the middle of the shoebox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a, a mic stand. And then gym mats created this little dome area to keep the sound sounding good. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you've never listened to this podcast before, you're probably hearing gym sounds in the background, things dropping and music kind of floating in and out, but that's how, that's how it is. So yeah, we should put a picture of this up. So yeah, absolutely. This is, yeah, we'll do, we'll do one. Uh, this is a testament to getting things done though. You don't yeah, need to do build it. a sound recording studio. You no, you don't start. No. And actually this setup was shown to me by uh, demo Castellan, who I did a podcast with on, on my 10,000 cuts, uh, com page. And he's a professional. He's worked with, you know, Jay Z and Missy Elliott and he's pretty, good, yeah. he's pretty damn good. <laughs> he showed me this setup yeah. and I told him the other day, I'm like, dude, that was one of the coolest things uh, anyone's ever done is show me how to uh, do this thing because it improved the sound of our recordings immensely and mm-hmm. for free just by using what we had around us. Is he, he's coming for a visit soon, isn't he? Yeah. So we have uh, fireball happening. Uh, well, when people hear this, it'll, it'll be, uh, I guess a day or two away. 
but uh, that's happening uh, Thursday, March 3rd. So he's going to be one of the speakers. He'll be leading the mindfulness session. Stoked. Crazy dude. Like speaking, speaking of a guy, actually, I know we're trying to end this thing, but speaking of a guy, <laughs> speaking of a guy who uh, dropped out, I mean, you know, he achieved the highest heights in his profession. You can't get any better than what he did. And, uh, you know, then hit bottom after that. Uh, and then picked himself back up, and now he's a he's a teacher, lecturer, mentor, wow. coach, and uh, just crazy. Like this, this guy's resume is absolutely ridiculous. He's one of the nicest, humblest guys. Um, I talked to him the other day. Uh, he was in Newport, um, Newport Beach, just getting training from another master. So he just basically travels the world, getting educated by true masters, not in school necessarily, mm-hmm. but in kind of a different type of school. It's a great life, and uh, that's you awesome. Know, I can't yeah, wait he, to hear him. Yeah, dude, he can he could be he could just be you know uh, chilling on yachts literally with with models and 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 you know fancy tequila, mm-hmm. but Poor you know, guy. yeah, like that Dan Blazarian dude, he could be <laughs> he could be doing that easily, but he's uh, he's gonna be here at the academy, uh, showing people how they can um, you know they can do that themselves. So and you're gonna be there, right? Oh, I'm definitely okay, gonna be there. Cool. I saw you sign up the other day. So that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Danny Oaks. And I'm Maddie Manhire. Thanks a lot. No, you're Maddie. You're, Ma- you're Matthew Christopher oh, Manhire. Oh, sorry. Matthew Christopher Manhire. And for those in Georgetown, Matthew Christopher Manhire. Coulter. Shit. <laughs> Coulter shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit, yeah. I just call him Manhire. Yeah. Thanks very much. We're out.